This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untaps in front, untaps holding on. What a win. Untap with the RSNZ Cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group ones. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Morning, everyone, and welcome to Cracking the Codes on Caulfield Cup Day. This is one of the big, iconic days of the turf. The floods have subsided, and we're going to run the Caulfield Cup today. So uh, a big build-up and, uh, and a great day's racing at Caulfield today. Lots to reflect on and lots to look forward to with uh, Simone and Daniel. How are you guys? Good morning. Very well. That sounds really odd saying Daniel. Formal. because. Yeah, I do have a brother, Daniel, and he doesn't ever get called Dan. Ah, so. so do the people um, say to him, yeah. Daniel, my brother. Are you um, older I'm than sure, me? I'm sure it's do been said before, but he's, he's not actually older than me. Are the scars but, um, with one heel? Oh, yeah, dear, oh, goodness. Dear. What a quirky he's, individual. He's good, isn't he? He's good. No, he's, he's average. He's average. Hey, Caulfield <laughs> Cup Day today. Um, we'll talk about some of the guests we've got coming up. We've got a very special little 11-year-old coming up as well. But, Dan, just Caulfield Cup Day. What's the first memory you've got? When I say Caulfield Cup, what do you think? Oh, I think of uh, one of the great races in, in Australian, Australasian world racing. Um, I remember being uh, on a really wet day watching Gurners Lane win the, the Caulfield Cup and the Guineas stand. And I, I remember being there when Arwan and Taxan had that bobbing uh, photo finish and, and the grey ended up getting the bob. And they were great days um, to really... Uh, you know, set the scene as a as a kid, and um, those days, you know, those the, those days, the horses they might have been a length or two short of where you thought they are now. You know, you remember them as if they were champions. They were probably somewhere between top horses and great horses, but they're very fond memories. Oh, I think today's race could do with a, a champion. There's no doubt about that. Simone, do we still do the the sweeps like we used to? I remember when I was a kid, it was my mum used to be the chief ringleader, and there was dad'd go down to the TAB, and there'd be a queue. And then mum had cut up the bits of the paper that for the for the sweep and so mm. on. I think that's one of the little things that's sort of subsided with time, isn't it? The Caulfield Cup sweep. Um, I'm not sure about the Caulfield Cup, but definitely the Melbourne Cup, Matt and Dan. And it makes me really cross. <laughs> I get so irate about the whole sweep thing with the Melbourne Cup in particular because I have such fond memories of the Melbourne Cup being blasted on the PA system at school through all the classrooms, picking your horse in the morning out of a container um, that was cut up out of the Herald Sun, the name, of course, and not, yeah, we don't do that. It's a four-day weekend now, so the kids do not get to experience that anymore, and it, it makes me really cross because I feel that that's part of our fabric, um, Australia's racing fabric, and just and just society. It's just fallen by the wayside, and I, I think it's sad, but that's coming from someone who does enjoy racing in the Melbourne Cup. Well, you mentioned the word kid and you mentioned the word cross and you mentioned the word irate. So that brings us to the obvious. And we're going to have to talk to your daughter, <laughs> the daughter this morning, Darcy. And in a sec, we'll explain why. But we're also going to have a chat to Jared Fry, who's a bit of a dogman, um, Simone, isn't he? He won the Turak last week with Tuvalu. And I saw a lovely photo of him in the paper cuddling a greyhound. And that's what we're going to have a chat to him about this morning. Well, he started with greyhounds in the catching pen, uh, catching greyhounds for trainers. So I have had Jared or years ago on the show that I used to do talking greyhounds. And, um, yeah, he, he loves the dogs and his wife, Ash, they love the dogs. They both do together and had their dog feature at their wedding earlier this year as well. So it's really nice to see him cross-coding and that they're embracing both of them. And he had that success on the weekend. Good on him. And Dan, um, Jim Jacks, Jakes, Jacks, Jakes, Jakes. Is, is, um, has called it a day as the race caller in South Australia. And uh, I texted him this morning uh, or last night and said, uh, give us a list of your, 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 your top races to reflect upon. And some of them are absolutely epic. And we're going to have a, a chat to him about the blacks of fakes of this world and the courage under fires of this world and smoking up and so so on. So. Great to have a chat to Jim, who's uh, who has called it quits, but what a rich history he's got, and we're going to reflect on that. But first, mm-hmm. why is your daughter on the phone, Simone? What's she done? Has she been naughty again? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be more of an interesting story, probably, and as to why. But look, everyone knows um, I've been banging on about it on social media a little bit this week, but everyone's been so wonderful because she won the Victoria Cup on Saturday night at Melton, and... 
it was her first pony trot win and anyone who's been listening knows that less than six months ago she actually was a late scratching in the parade yard um, along with one of the other little girls because the pony Bobby got a bit of a fright so she really has come a long way but has had some wonderful help from Jodie Quinlan. Um, Kima Frenning's been great, Jenny Lewis as well but particularly Jodie giving her pony a, a bit of a spin around the track and getting getting his mind back into what he should be doing and um this is the little pale so face we, adios lookalike isn't it it is it is little bobby or light the fuse as he's called so it was a very unexpected win um as we've mentioned she he's a big pony and he's got a big stride and um he's quite fast so he's off a, a handicap like far back but um so we didn't expect to win at all it was one of those moments that I was even debating, like I don't like going anywhere with a dirty horse or dirty pony, but it wasn't overly warm on Saturday. And I thought, well, I'll always wash his white socks and um, his tail. And I was thinking, oh, do I wash him all over? And I was trying to, you know, get him a bit clean and he wasn't clean enough for me. So I washed him, but it was, I was at that point. So it was totally unexpected. No, oh. I didn't paint. He wasn't filthy, but he just, I thought, no, it's it no a, use going with a half Do a fine, do a fine horse, cotton, so. Dan. I uh, seem to remember he <laughs> yeah. copped a paint job a up in a, in a driveway <laughs> of a Brisbane uh, suburban uh, estate uh, in 1984. Hey, um, Darcy's on the line, and this will, and you sent some lovely photos through social media, Simone, and directly to Dan and I. One is Darcy, I think, half asleep with exhaustion uh, yeah. in the car on the way home with her head in her trophy. And the next one was waking up the next day with her beautiful uh, victory rug. This is Dan, the great Dan Malecki's call of Simone's daughter winning off a big handicap in the Victoria Cup for Ponies last Saturday night. Into the home straight. And uh, these little ponies, they'll run a bit faster the louder you cheer, so feel free to cheer them on. And it's Josh Holm taking over now with the Ruby. His pony Ruby dashes to the front in the home straight. Now back in third position is Down Under Mischief is the name of the pony. Has made up good ground uh, with uh, Daniel Loftus. And Light the Fuse is trying to get home hard. It's made up a lot of ground with Darcy Fisher as well. It's Ruby and Josh Holm in front with less than 100 metres to go. Some of the back markers are getting home, including Light the Fuse and Darcy Fisher. But it's Ruby in front with Josh Home. Light the Fuse is charging home. Darcy Fisher hit the front on the outside and gets up to win, and it'll be Darcy's first win at the Pony Trots. What an effort. Light the Fuse, Darcy Fisher from Ruby, Josh Holm, and down under Mischief in third spot with Daniel Loftus. That was, uh, that was Saturday night, and in front of a big crowd, there was a terrific crowd there. I mean, what a night. What a thrill it would be for anybody to be involved that night. There was tremendous um, ambience about the place, and where the ponies are coming at the speed they're coming at from the top of the straight, Simone, and you'll, you'll see it, they line the top of the straight, the people, aren't they? It's where a lot of the kids' activities are and rides and, and there was a market there and all that. So the crowd was fantastic. So um, Darcy uh, would, have, would have felt that. I'm sure she would have felt that from the, the top of the straight onwards because she was wider out on the track, wasn't she? And it was a pretty special last 20 or 30 metres because um, I don't think she looked like she was going to win on the turn, but it was probably only about 100 metres from home. You thought, oh, she's going to get close here. And she got more than close. She, her first pony trot win is the Victoria Cup pony trot, which is quite incredible, Mum. Well, the daughter's oh, on the it, phone, it Mum. Let's was. let's have a chat to the daughter who's uh, just heard uh, that great praise from Dan Malecki in the scenes and the win itself. Darcy, well done. Thank you. What a thrill. Take us through. Tell us about it. Tell us about the night. Tell us about getting ready. Let's start with when you sort of getting the pony all sort of shackled up and the were you nervous? I mean well I didn't really think I was gonna win, but I was a bit nervous and then when I like got into the parade ring I had like a feeling that I was gonna win and then down the straight I thought I was and then it just happened. <laughs> it's amazing the way it did happen because when you start, just so our listeners get a bit of an idea, Das you would be that far back on handicap. I'm not even sure you would see the pony off the front mark, would you? Uh, no, I didn't really, but, yeah, I didn't. I saw a few ponies in front of me, but I didn't see. I think it was Maddie at the front. Take us through the race. So you've got your little pale face adios uh, clone, uh, Bobby. Is that his name, Bobby? Yeah. Right, so you got him into gear. How important was it, because you came off a big back mark to... Get him into gear, get him into stride early, and uh, not lose too much ground. Was that the first thing you had to do? 
I like had to get him into a trot, and then sometimes Bobby can sort of take off in a canter. Well, not take off, but he can break into a canter, and that's like really annoying because that slows us down trying to get back into the trot. The last little bit of the race, he, he got a little bit rocky there. I was he, he corrected himself just in time, Darcy. Oh, I know. I was just like when I finished the race, Jenny was telling me if I hadn't have pulled him up, like I risked winning the race, but if I hadn't have pulled him up, I would have got disqualified from the race. Oh, that would have been a bad trip home in the car. I think yeah. Mum had a bit of a heart, a heart attack there too, mm. didn't you, Simone? I couldn't actually see it because I was over at the start next to her and um, I had a flag to start the ponies as well, so the kids behind me could actually see the flag go down. So at Melton, when you're over the back, the semaphore board and all the at the front, it, it's a lot of area it takes up, so there's a huge blind spot. So I couldn't see that she'd actually won. And Michael Stanley had said, I think she might win this. And I said, oh, she's still too far back, but the winning post is a long way forward. So I didn't actually know that she'd won until she came around the home bend. And then, of course, they get the kids to, like with the big drivers, to keep going well past the gate so that the horses don't, you know, do a quick spin around and go back down into the parade yard. So I didn't actually... No, um, but it was all, yeah, a bit, bit of a blur then because we had Gareth doing an interview with her and um, then Andrew Bensley wanted to do an interview. It was, and then we had the pony in the front and getting photos and, and all of that. So it was all, I can't imagine what it would have been like to win the actual Victoria Cup because it was pretty exciting winning the pony trot race. So would you, could you hear the crowd up the straight, Das? Uh, yeah, I, I heard it very faintly because... When you're just driving and you can hear the wind, you can, like, barely hear anything. But I definitely heard you calling, Dan. <laughs> well, he's got a very well, loud voice. Well, that's true, too. And I definitely saw the photos of you with your trophy and the, the victory rug as well. It looked pretty snug. You look pretty snug in a rug, uh, Das. Um, those photos there, I imagine, I don't know if they still have it, but if you had show and tell, you would have taken centre stage at school. Yes, I did do show and tell actually, but I brought my ribbon and my cup in and then we had a few photos and there were like questions going on for years about can I race my donkey? Well, I'm sure you could. Now that you're a champion, you could you could put a chihuahua in front of the cart and probably win a race. So tell us about show and tell because not everyone at school, for instance, would, would know about harness racing, would understand pony trots and all that sort of stuff. What sort of recognition did the other kids and the teachers have for what you'd achieved well my teacher she said something about like her like one of her relatives or something how she did one they did harness racing so she knew it quite well but then there were kids in my class who thought because I'm known my class for riding not driving so everyone was like I thought you do it on horseback and yeah and then when I put my cuff out everyone was like that's so big. Do they think you're a bit of a, like a superstar? I mean, I don't know. We played some of my interviews, actually, in my classroom. So I hope they do. Well, of course you hope they do. Hey, what's, um, now that you're sort of off and, off and running, when's the next pony trot? Are you just going to dominate now? I mean, my next one's tomorrow at Maryborough. So there's four people with me on my handicap. So I just need to get there first so I can go on the railing, like mum's always banging on about. Oh, that's right. She's always said she's got to get to the rail first. So you've, this is the first time you've ever listened to your mother, isn't it? Oh, well, I mean, I didn't really listen to her. I more listened to Jody, but um, I did li- I did sort of. So, But whenever I go on to my, my race, she's always like, Duffy, stay on the railing, stay on the railing, you'll do it on the railing. I'm just, I'm trying to stay on the railing. And then when I get home, Dad's always like, you're quite far off the railing, weren't you? Oh, so you're getting mixed messages from those rotten parents of yours. Hey, um, do you want to become the next Jodie Quinlan? Like, is this lit a flame in you to, to want to pursue this? Yeah, Jodie Quinlan, Kate Gath, something like that. That'll do you. That'll do you. Well, what a great thrill. What was it like waking up the next day? Did it feel like it was a dream when you woke up and then you looked down and said, hang on, I've got this rug on me. What's this all about? I mean, yeah, it was. It wasn't like a dream. I sort of was like sort of recovering from what happened. And, yeah, like, mm. Well, don't, kids make you so proud, year. don't they? Like, uh, 
I feel proud of her, and she's not even mine. Well, I suppose yeah. mine have been so disappointing that I may as well latch onto the Darcy story. <laughs> it was only months ago you were going through the prelims and, and, and learning about it, uh, Simone. I mean, there's a lot involved, a lot of prep, and um, there's been a few races through the course of this year. But, you know, to enjoy that ride, it seems so quickly now, but uh, by the same token, uh, there's a lot involved to get to the stage of where she's at. A lot of training. A lot of dedication. You've got to have the pony to start off with, in which you inquired about, bought a pony, then looked after it, um, being able to get experience in some trials, some training days. And to get to the stage it is, it just doesn't happen. You just can't turn up there tomorrow and do it. Um, so there's got to be a lot of preparation, which is wonderful for the kids. And Darcy had a, an experience that wasn't so fantastic at one stage there either. So as they say, if you fall off a horse, you've got to get back on it straight away. And she did. So kudos to her and, and to mum. Um, and uh, and to Dad, and I think Nana was there as well, wasn't she, Simone? Yeah, my mum was there. She often comes to horse competitions and, and things, so um, she was there, and she won't be at Maryborough tomorrow, but I think she's looking at Melton next Friday night, so there's quite a few coming up, but I, I will say that um, Jenny Lewis and HRV, the program of the Pony Trots, I've never been involved up until you know the last 12 months, it has been outstanding, the support they give the kids, the training days, um, and just the kids are fantastic. They just congratulate each other. They like hanging out, and I think that is whole, the whole part of the, the Pony Trot experience too. It's not just getting out and winning and um, it's booking, you know, congratulating your teammates on a good drive or if something didn't go well and in just empathising with them. And I think that's what it, – it's more than just winning – a race or the Victoria Cup, it has been for us. It's been a, a wonderful experience with lots of support. Now, Darcy, um, kids have a knack of taking their parents for granted, but your mum and dad have been carting you all over the place to, to help this, uh, help you achieve your dream. So have you had a little thank you, mum, before we let you go? Thank you, mother. Thank you, father. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> there's, there's one horse that I think she I think there's one horse, race horse guys you might need to tell her about and I know you'll know exactly who I'm talking about wasn't there a horse called Be Good to Your Mother yeah there was, there <laughs> so was. She might need to has that. mum got some brownie points with you now Das pardon? has mum got some credits in the bank with you now is she um, you know she's done you a few favours she might you know she might be pretty sweet for a while yep yeah, maybe possibly depends how <laughs> things go you know uh, Darcy runs the house with an iron fist I can tell that so hey good on you you're a, you're a legend well done and we followed your journey um, in recent months very closely and it's everyone was so wrapped for you and the photos that your mum sent through were, were really fantastic so well done everyone's really proud of you thank you Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki, and Simone Fisher. Cracking the Codes. We certainly are cracking the codes this Saturday morning and we have another cross-coder coming up in, in just a moment and um, he had a huge win on Saturday. So it was a great day all round last Saturday winning the Turak Handicap on Tuvalu. But I knew Jared prior to all his um, horse racing, just at the Greyhounds. He was um, involved in Greyhound racing and used to catch the Greyhounds as a youngster. So he certainly, you know, had the racing bug and um, the horses, of course, are providing him with a, a great career at the moment. So, Jared Fry, good morning to you. Good morning, Simone. How are we? Yeah, great. Um, how are you after the win last Saturday, your very first Group 1? Is it a moment that you ever thought would happen? Oh, you always dream about it, but um, I'm just very blessed that Lindy and uh, the ownership group have stuck by me and um, allow, allowed me to have the opportunity. Jarrah, that's a big thing nowadays, that loyalty, um, and particularly in your position. You've been close a few times, haven't you, to group ones, and you've got great, a great association with what looked a very promising horse. And uh, the faith that the owners uh, had in you uh, stay together as a unit um, – I, I think that it's rewarding, obviously, in a certain way, but it, it's great to see as well. Yeah, that's right. And, um, like, even, like, Lindsay in his interview saying, like, how wrapped he was for me and, like, it's like we're, we're a really good team and I'm just wrapped to be part of their team. Take us back to the catching, the kennel catching days. This is a, 
So I'm imagining this is wallable. Simone was in that um, Fashions on the Field era still then, Dan, she I would imagine, when she was roaming around the Western <laughs> Districts in, in her puffy shirt. And, and here's little Jared Fry catching the greyhounds. Was Simone also catching them, Jared? do you recall? Uh, she might have been handling a few, but uh, the, the catching was le- left to the, uh, all, the, all the young kids. We'd, we'd, get, we'd get our five bucks to go, and um, uh, it was uh, a bit of fun. Is this like the equivalent of the paper round, was it? The, the, all the kids would go around and, and cop five bucks for catching a few greyhounds? Yeah, that's it. And if, if, uh, if you caught a big race winner, sometimes the trainers would sling you a bit. And uh, that was, um, we used to save up the pocket money and bought a few dogs with it. So that was um, good fun. It's gone up to $10 a catch now, too. There was, You're missing um, out, Jared. Come back. The price has doubled. <laughs> Yeah, the old, old infl- inflation, that'll do that. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jared, just talk us uh, or tell us about, you know, your involvement with greyhounds, obviously catching the dogs and you got the bug there and you bought a, a greyhound, I think it was Ryko Bale. And um, from then on in, you've been involved with greyhounds. You've got your own property with your wife down near Ballarat and breeding some of your own. She's even training greyhounds as well. Um, and I know... A few years ago, we had a chat on radio when you said that, you know, you're not going to be a jockey forever. Just obviously the body won't allow that, but you want to have some sort of a backup plan and something to enjoy. And um looks like the greyhounds are definitely it. Yeah, that's right. Um, my, um, my wife's uh, got her trainer's licence and we only sort of train the lesser class dogs because obviously we both work full time. But um, we've got about 10 with... Um, trainers and we breed one one sometimes two litters a year and um rear them here at home and then we send they send, send them off they get broken in and pre-trained and um then they go into race kennels um tell us about some of the the jockeys that i've heard a few of the names pop up over time that have been involved with some of your greyhounds jared so i'd imagine it'd be a great talking point uh, you know in the jockeys room through the course of the day but Tell us about some of your constituents that are involved in uh, in the greyhounds with you. Yeah, so um, I don't really sell to, the boys. Always ask me for one, but I don't like selling them one because if it turns out no good, they uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, ra- I'd, 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 ra- I'd rather just stay mates with them. <laughs> Who's the kid, the apprentice down Cranburn Way, who had a had grey a greyhound license? I'm sure, Jared. Who's that? Who's a yeah. Oh, Rewilla was Stockdale's. it? Yeah, no, C- Campbell Rewilla. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Campbell Rewilla's got his trainer's license. He actually trained a winner at Tarogan last night. Um, Is that right? A, yeah, he just bought a farm out at um, Yarragon, and um, it was an old greyhound place. And um, yeah, obviously Campbell's quite heavy with his weight, so he's not really sort of riding too much. But um, yeah, we we talk about the dogs constantly, and um, uh, we find it a good outlet. You know, they, um, Dan, you and Simone, you'd have seen these as well. Like in the committee room at Flemington, there's those old portrait paintings of thoroughbreds from 150 years ago where mm. they look nothing like what they actually look like. I don't sort know. Elongated, but, but they can't, the yeah, they kind of look more like greyhounds to me. Like, Jared, you know, when you're looking at a, a racehorse, like the physique and the, the bum and the neck and the shoulder and all that, and the proportions and the balance is. In a good greyhound, is is it kind of does it mirror the balance and the and the proportions of a good um, a good thoroughbred? Um, similar, but not as in depth. Like obviously, with the horses, with the yearling tails and everything, like the walk, they're constantly um, X-rayed and everything like that. Where, like, if you're going to buy a pup, you're buying it at three months old, so they're just sort of little fluff balls I guess but as you see them as you see them grow um like obviously because we rear our own here um as they sort of get to about eight nine months like I think you can sort of pick pick the ones that like are the most athletic looking types and um but sometimes there'll there'll be a little pocket rocket that surprises you so um, it's all part of the game. Oh, I remember Miata was a pocket rocket. Simone, uh, when he, when Jared just said that, it reminded me of the chat I had with Cal Greeno with Sean Cosgrave and Matt Nevitt on the Big V a couple of weeks ago when we asked her what, what was the difference between, wow, she's fast and all her litter mates. And he said, there is a difference. He said, she's the most balanced greyhound he's ever seen. And 
hard to define what balanced actually means, but I think you can, you can imagine it, can't you? So, yeah, maybe maybe a lot of the better ones have just got that intangible sort of balance about them, haven't they? It's a really good point you raised before because I think perhaps do the thoroughbred buyers put too much into buying a yearling? I don't know because, like you mentioned, a greyhound, you sell them at three months old, so you don't have a lot of really defining features. They're still, they're still pups. They all very much look the same. You, you perhaps look for one that... Um, you know, looks well covered and doesn't look scrawny. But many, many years ago, and Jared, I know you know Alan Britton, he had a greyhound called Hyper Din and she was a stayer and she was the strangest looking greyhound ever. And Alan used to tell me, he'd say she's got this tiny face and these massive ears and sort of a, a thin neck and she was a little bit withered behind the shoulders and a bit of a pot belly and she was only little, but she was a stayer and she was very, very good. And I've never forgotten her and her kennel name was Cheeky and I've never forgotten her for a couple of reasons and one was because she was probably the most, the, the best example of a greyhound that you potentially wouldn't buy if it was going up in a sale ring but it just meant nothing as far as performance on the track went and so do you think maybe with the thoroughbreds when you're paying millions of dollars you, you are just trying to find the edge in every little angle of their feet, um, their legs, their eye and it's just overthinking it. Well, what's Tuvalu like, for instance, Jared? Is he the perfect oil painting or not? Um, like he's, he's well put together and uh, everything like that. But um, but that's how uh, Lindsay and Wellesley, they don't sort of look too much into the pedigree page. They um, When they're at the sales, they'll just, if, they, if one comes into the ring and they like it, then they try and buy it. So they've been buying more on tight than anything else. And Tuvalu was one of them. The win on Saturday, Jared, when um, he was coming down the straight, he looked to be looking a little bit to the right. Did you think that you had that race won? Um, he, he, yeah, he just didn't look like he was straight at one particular point. Oh, uh, he just he just sort of uh, once he sort of got in front of those two runners in front of us, he just laid in a little bit. But once um, once I straightened him up, um, he accelerated again, and um, yeah, I was I was pretty confident. Um, throughout the run, because we had a beautiful run throughout the race. And, um, yeah, when I, when I sort of pulled into the outside and got in front of those two, I was confident I was going to run them down. And just when he got to him, he just sort of wanted to lay in. But once I straightened him up, he accelerated again. And, um, yeah, the feeling going past the line was bloody sensational. I know that. <laughs> well, we might relive it a bit for you. I don't think you're going to get sick of this replay until at least you win your second group one. This is the two-rack handicap from last week. Jared Fry riding Tuvalu. Now I wish I win pulls towards the middle of the track, still has seven or eight to pick up. Gentleman Roy at the 250 led from military expert, then Tuvalu, I wish I win. Gentleman Roy getting tired, Tuvalu is wearing it down at the 100. Tuvalu takes the lead, 50 to go, Tuvalu draws clear and won the Turak. Tuvalu first, flashing laws of indices, all military expert. Jared, is it a bit of a blur, that moment going across the line? You knew you'd won it. When you think back, can you remember every second of passing that finishing line or is it just a little bit of a blur to you? Um, no, I tried to soak it in as much as I could. Um, obviously, that moments like those are very hard to come by. and um, Yeah, but I know one thing, I'll, I'll never forget that feeling going past the line. It's, um, it's nothing like nothing else been busy boy particularly with the greyhounds and your wife but have you had the chance yet to have your honeymoon or is uh, Perth beckoning when Tuvalu goes for the railway? Yeah no we went on our honeymoon after the obviously um, we got married in April and my wife was good enough to because I was leading leading the country premiership allow me to ride till the end of the season and luckily enough I was able to win that and then once the season finished we um, went, went went away um, and then, yeah now Back uh, full guns are blazing. Where'd you go? I'm always curious. Where'd you go for your honeymoon? Uh, we went to Fiji, actually. Um, I'd, I was sort of happy to go anywhere and said to the wife, if you wait, well, then you can pick anywhere you want. And <laughs> she um, she picked Fiji. I, was, I said, oh, you could pick the Maldives or something. But um, You're into a bit down market, do you? <laughs> oh, no. I just I, oh, I gave her sort of free reign and... <laughs> wherever you want and um, we'd, we'd been to Fiji together before and she really liked it so um, she's sort of um, yeah, like a creature of habit I guess sometimes. 
Now, you had your pet greyhound. I, I can't think of her name, but you had her in your wedding party. <laughs> so tell us about her as well. Yeah, so her, her name's Lola. Um, lofty ambition she is, actually. Um, she, she had a couple of litters, and um, they all sort of won races, and they were okay. But, um, yeah, like, she's just become my wife's best friend. Like, um, whether she's sort of doing fencing around the place or going out to get her horses or feeding the pups or anything like that. She just follows around. She's like her shadow. Um, goes up the street with her. She's, um, yeah, she's, she's, obviously we don't have any children, but she's like our child, that's for sure. Well, I, I did do a little bit of Facebook stalking the other night. and um, She does that uh, a bit, uh, Jared. <laughs> A lot. Mm. I, I don't. I don't and, actually. And non but, um, and non Facebook stalking. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. I don't, Jared. But it's because um, you've got a mutual friend. A friend we've, we've both got a mutual friend, and that's Sarah. And um, she was in Ashley's bridal party, and that's why I was looking at all the beautiful photos of not only Sarah and the other girls, but the dog. And I just thought it was just so lovely. And I know people who have horses in their wedding photos. A dog would probably have been a little bit easier, but um, it, it's just really, really nice. I just think it's wonderful that. You're having so much success with the gallops, but, um, you know, the poor man's racehorse, the greyhound, you're having just as much fun with them and, and training them. And, and they're going, they're quite handy, some of your greyhounds. So, you, you know, wish you all the success. And who knows, you might have a, a Group 1 winner one day there at the Melbourne Cup or something too. Yeah, that'd be nice. Cross-code Group 1, that'd be that'd, um, be, be a dream. Well, good on you, mate. You're a cross-coder. Um, we have a few on this show, don't we, guys? So, a group one cross coder. Group one cross coder. We've had a few triple coders as well who have ventured into the harness world as well. But Jared, well done, mate, and uh, uh, congratulations on Tuvalu. And there's there's got to be a lot more there coming as well. And as Simone says, maybe one day you'll be celebrating a Melbourne Cup or a Top Gun or something like that, or a Golden Easter Egg. So, best of luck with the Greyhounds as well. And thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. How are you? Thanks very much for having us. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Well, guys, one of the most distinguishable voices in, uh, well, any code, but through calling races has got to be Jim Jakes in South Australia. And um, I was a little surprised, uh, I suppose, when you get used to a voice when, uh, and I think very loyal, you know, listeners and supporters of all three codes, you get used to voices, don't you, as, as far as race callers are concerned. So I was a little surprised when Maddie Stewart actually said to me the other day, oh, Jim Jakes has decided to, to call it uh, quits. He's going to retire soon. And... You know, it made me think very quickly what a wonderful career um, this uh, man has had, uh, Mr. South Australia, for a number of decades. And we'll find out just for how long, because he joins us as a special guest this morning. How are you, Jim? Yeah, very good, Dan. Good to catch up, mate. I, I miss our little visits and trips away to New Zealand. And, and Ashburton's always a, a little place in our mind that we've had a bit of fun together over the years. But, yeah, good to catch up with you again. And, and Matt and Simone, yeah, happy to be part of your show. Oh, look, I, I I suppose, you know, I've made a decision which maybe I've gone a bit early, but we'll, we'll see if we can last till we need to. When's the date? Like, what, what are you, what made you come to that decision? And uh, when uh, when are you calling your last meeting? Okay, well, I, I did a... I've, I've been concerned about me mentally and uh, also the job. And, and basically, I suppose because I'm a, a sixth-generation... Uh, name in harness racing, you know, uh, with people training and driving and so forth. The Jake's name's got six generations to its tag, you know, so we're, we're harness racing people, you know, and I know what the sport used to be like, Dan, and i got to say, sometimes I go to work and I get a little bit depressed seeing how the sport is and how it's, well, to be totally honest, it's dying, uh, and and it's dying in my time as commentator. So I, I did try to offer a few suggestions of help 20-odd years ago when I was um, uh, started to be employed by the Queensland TAB. So, uh, but Harness Racing SA didn't want to go with that, and I could see what was going to happen to the sport. And unfortunately, I'm one of these pig-headed people where I predict something and it goes wrong. It just makes me even more angry, you know, And uh, if, if I'm right in my, my guess. And that's basically what's happened here. So um, I... I used to love my job. Um, I love going to work, and it's not the people that I'm working for. It's just where I'm going that has tarnished that. And 
there's a few other issues that I've been looking at. Um, my voice is not very good, Dan. Uh, it, it's it's just worn out, uh, and between races, I've got to clear my throat, and, and I just I'm not happy where I am. Uh, and I figure I've got three lovely grandchildren, and that's the highlight of my week. And I figure, well, if I pull the pin out of work, I can spend more time with them and the family, and, and that's pretty well basically what I'm going to be doing. So. Um, maybe it's a sook's attitude, a give-up attitude, but, um, yeah, there's, look, there's a few different issues. I did an analytical troubleshoot, which I, I gained some experience in, in learning how to analytical troubleshoot uh, problems uh, when I worked for ETSA at Torrens Island Power Station years ago, uh, and that was before I started my commentating career. And, uh, yeah, I've always used that to, if I've got a problem in life, I'll, I'll go through the pros and the cons, the, the good and the bad, what's good, what's bad, and I use that, and it said it's time to go, Jimmy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm heading off, Dan. But obviously it's a hard decision, but uh, that's the decision I've made, and once I make a decision, that's it. I think the situation in South Australia is a little bit um, perhaps at odds with um, some more promising signs. You know, we saw the uh, the Victoria Cup last Saturday night at Melton with wagering through the roof and a big crowd and that, but it's a fairly bleak scene, Jim, over in South Australia, and... We are going to play some replays of the Halcyon days, and you can, you're going to hear the background of uh, when Smoking Up won the 2013 SA Cup uh, in a moment as well, uh, with when it was great. But um, just just on that decline in South Australia, is are you talking about general interest, crowds, management? What what's the what's the the, the nexus of what you're talking about? Yeah, look, it's probably a bit of everything uh, that you've just mentioned there, Matt. Um, I look. I don't want to be overcritical, but uh, I did put up a proposition to Harness Racing SA 20 years ago how to promote the sport, uh, and I couldn't believe that they declined the offer because it wasn't for much money at all. Um, and and what was your idea to promote the sport? Okay, so so what I wanted to do is get syndications involved. And Aaron Bain here in South Australia has done that fantastically, similar along the lines of what Aaron Bain's done here. Because it was getting too expensive, the return back to the owners was was declining. Like the prize money was no good, and it, it was just getting nearly impossible for people to race horses and make money. They'd lose money. So the idea was syndications. I was going to go to sporting clubs all around South Australia, uh, get them to become involved in a syndicate. Uh, their club colours, whether it's a footy club, a soccer club, any sort of club, netball club, and they could then. Uh, get into uh, syndications and that horse would be their horse. So that would then bring crowds. Back in those days, we had a double-decker bus that was available to take people to the trots. I'd organise the bus to take them to the trots, go to Glad Derby, sit down, have a meal. I'd do the form. I'd put the suggested bets on the table. Then you could get your turnover. I was going to go to schools, get school excursions, get the kids to go out to Globe Derby on the backtrack, organise a double-seated sulky so they could get a feel of driving because... When I started calling pony races in 1985, 95% of the kids that drove in the pony races went on to drive at the trots. Nowadays, probably 5% of the kids that drive in pony races then continue on to the trots. We're going to run out of drivers here in South Australia because the old ones are dying and those that have been in the sport for that long, they're telling their kids, you can't make money in this sport go get a job, go somewhere else. So we're going to run out of people eventually. And, and that's been shown in a young driver's race that we've had in South Australia, the Graham Silk Play. They didn't have enough drivers to, to fill a field on a couple of years, you know. So it's, it's, it's going downwards, you know. Well, I have to say, some of those ideas that you mentioned to market it, promote it, grassroots, just basic engagement, kids and all that, I did float something very similar to uh, a certain major race club here five years ago, and they didn't take that up either. And I, I don't think you could. I don't think you could pitch it now. So I think that window closed. Anyway, let's move on to something more positive. Yeah, you yeah. sent me through a list that keeps growing. You keep another text. Here's another one. Here's another. One. So, give us four or five of the, your greatest memories of great races at Globe Derby. What what jumps out at you? And there's a couple because I have a, already had a pre chat with you. Yes. Smoking up 2013 SA Cup and Blacks of Fake 07 into Dominion. They're, they're two of them, but as it rolls out of your off the top of your head, what what comes to mind? 
Yeah, was, I think the ultimate race was the 2013 SA Cup, uh, Smoking Up in Caribbean Blaster. And the reason I say that, the crowd decided that because it was a rare occasion where I could hear the roar from the crowd up in the commentary box at Globe Derby. They were really involved. They really enjoyed the battle between these two great horses and 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 they enjoyed the clawback of, of Smoking Up. Well, just hold fire there, Jimmy. Let's listen to it. Let's have a listen to exactly what you're talking about. Down the back, Lance says go on trigger, smoke it up in front, but now Kate Gath says go on Caribbean Blaster, and the big guns have got away at the 400, smoke it up, joined by Caribbean Blaster, he pokes his head in front, 15 metres clear of dead set, lucky Zanardi, Mark Dennis, then behind those Condit El Sasso, Caribbean Blaster on the outside, smoke it up's got a lift, he's two metres away, 28-3 the third quarter, Caribbean Blaster in front by a metre, a metre and a half, Smoke it up's kicking back. He's coming back. He's fighting back. Oh, look at him. Smoke it up does it. Four SA Cups. Second Caribbean blaster. 20 metres away. Dan, I want you to assess out of 10 that race call because I've got a figure in my mind. When you hear that as a race call, you know about the art of race calling and creating atmosphere and excitement. What do you give it out of 10? Well, I hope you say you 10 or else it's got to be very embarrassing. best judge that is when the hairs stand up on the back of your neck and it's not you calling it it must be pretty special and that's the feeling i got i've heard it many many times over the years and if it affects me that way it must affect uh, jim but it was a uh, it was an amazing race two two great horses i mean there was other horses in the race but those two made it uh and and jim made it a special moment to compliment it so i it's it's the perfect one for me I just listened to that call too and, and Jim and just the passion and the enthusiasm and it just painted a, a wonderful picture and um, I can totally understand why your voice might be going because if you were calling the majority of Group 1 races or big races like that, my goodness me, it was just um, it was sensational to listen to and when you, we're talking about smoking up now in recent times as well, and he was at Melton a couple of weeks ago leading out the field. So it's great to have a memory like that and have a race like that that we can reflect on, but still be in touch with the horse. All right, so that's smoking up, and I can't imagine you could produce another 10 out of 10, but let's have a listen to Blacks of Fake in 07 and see if you can get up to a, the magical 10 out of 10 mark on this one as well. Hood can't keep up, drops out. Pharrell coming around the outside, still in front. It's win for you. Blacks are fake. Pharrell, the New Zealand mares joining out wide. Be good, Johnny goes to the inside. Blackie goes to the lead. Natalie Rasmus and the Blacks are fake. Oh, the most brilliant blend. They take it out. Back to back wins. Second win for you. Third for Well, Earl. I give it a 10 because we actually threw in a bit of soundtrack as well, Jim. You may have noticed just to give it, just to get it over the line, but to call, to call. Call champions and Blacks of Fake, he's probably the arguably the greatest of the last 30 years. So to call him in front of your Isaac Love Derby must have been a bit of a thrill. Yeah, it was. Uh, and uh, a great horse indeed. And, and I, I suppose back in those days, that's where people may have realised that maybe, you know, um, things were different with the end of the minion because the first round of heats were at Moody Valley. And then they, they finished off the heats at Globe Derby and the final at Globe Derby, you know, so they had to do a bit of travelling. But, look, he, he, was, he was a great horse, Black to fake. I liked him a lot, uh, you know, and, to, you know, to win four into the Minions, just, just a great horse. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to have him. But, you know, without trying to sound too pessimistic, you know, it's probably the last of five into the minions that we've had at Globe Derby and, and we probably won't have another one unfortunately, but yeah, that's, that's the disappointing part, but the, the good part was we got to see those horses and, and full compliments to everyone to, to get those horses to South Australia and he, he was a really special horse, I mean, you, you got to call him over there at Mooney Valley for the first round I think, but memory Dan, and then, then they came over here to South Australia yeah, and then, then of course, he, he, well, he won four of them. We got to see plenty of him, and that's the great thing about harness racing, that longevity with the champions smoking up, question in point. We get that opportunity for them to go interstate, and it was. It was a truly fantastic call, um, uh, Jimmy. And, you know, the legacy is with those big races now. You mentioned the Inter-Dominion, but even the SA Cup, where it's got to now, it is disappointing. I mean, I can share your pain there. Uh, I think it's worth 30000 now, isn't it? Exactly. Like when I first started calling, it was a grand circuit race. You know, we were part of the grand circuit. And the first, and that's another race that I, I, I wanted to point out, Matt, was 
the first ever SA Cup I called was the year 2000, the turn of the century. And we had a great battle between Safe and Sound and Sorrento Star. And Sorrento Star, she'd only just won the Geelong Cup. Uh, Peter Manning trained her. And Peter Lawrence drove her. Peter stopped driving. He became a steward of, of Harness Racing SA. And now he's a steward of Greyhound Racing SA. So he's out of the sport as such that way. Uh, and had Sorrento Star won, because the mile rate was pretty good, uh, had she won that year, it would have been a, a world record for a mare over that distance. Like they went at 157 mile rate, but safe and sound got there right on the line. But that was my first ever year of calling the SA Cup. Terry McAuliffe uh, was our primary harness commentator here in South Australia, but when Ron Paps left, Terry then went to the thoroughbreds, and then I was doing the country trot at that stage and shifted up to primary harness commentator. And I was probably a bit stupid or a bit brave, but I, I had a um, I had a philosophy that one little thing that used to annoy me a little bit when I was listening to commentators, they wouldn't have a crack at a photo finish. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a crack at any photo finish. If I, if I get it wrong, I get egg on my face. Uh, but I was probably stupid at my first SA Cup having a shot at the finish. I thought I saw a safe and sound nose in front of Sorrento Star. And I went to the judge afterwards and he said that there were six millimetres in it and he got there. So I was probably a bit stupid saying safe and sounds won the cup. No, you were just sharp-eyed is what you were. Uh, now, there's courage on a fire in 2001. I'll get you to comment about that in a minute too. But one thing I liked, and Dan does this and all the great race callers do it as well, they expand the story beyond the horse. And with Blacks of Fake, you made a special mention of Natalie Rasmussen as well because quite often the driver, Dan uh, and, and Jim and Simone, is as big a part of the package as the um, as the horse, and no greater example than Vin Knight and Popular Arms. So, Jim, was it important at times to introduce the driver into the call just to complete the package a bit? Yeah, I think so because it's a package deal, you know. And, and I tend to I tend to use drivers a lot in my call, you know, just at the local races. You know, I'll call Danny, Danny, and and, and you know, all, all like Danny Hill, obviously, but. I, I prefer to. I think it brings the, the crowd closer to the the person out there, and they've got just as important role as what the horses got out there as well, you know. And and I always feel that. I remember Bruce McAvaney telling me one time. He said, "Jimmy, he said, when you're calling a race, he said, especially the big races, he said, you've been given the honour to call that special race, and he said, you've just got to give it your, your best shot, do your best." and try and complement what's actually happening out there and get the people involved with the race itself. And and I think that that's what we try to do. And I know Dan does what he, he's always done it in his career. You know, And I think most of us follow that trend anyway as commentators. There's one more before we say goodbye. Then we're going to ask you, as well as hanging out with the grandkids, I think fly fishing's a good option in retirement. Uh, <laughs> easy rolling... Uh, Globe Derby on the 17th of May 2021. What was uh, what was the thrill with Easy Rolling? Well, the story behind that was, I mean, as you're all fully aware, I lost my voice calling a race on the 17th of May, uh, and and that was on in 2010. And that same day, a lot of people don't realise that Danny Hill in the last race, that's when she had a, a major crash on that same day the 17th of May, 2010, and that's where the horse trod on her face, uh, caused the, the optical nerve to be broken in one eye, and then she was only able to see out of one eye. Danny then went out and had a baby uh, and come back to racing. And when she came back to racing, she started to break all records, all South Australian records and Australian records. And can you believe it? That date, 17th of May... 11 years later, that exact same day, Danny Hill broke the Australian record of driving six winners at one meeting on the fourth occasion. Now, the previous time that she did it, she equaled the record of Karen Manning and also Gary Hall Jr. They'd done it three times each. Danny did it for the fourth time. She's gone on again and done it for the fifth time since. So for someone that had to learn again how to to uh, drive a car, walk up steps and all that because she had vision of one eye only instead of two and she's come out and driven all those winners. I, I just think it's, it's an amazing performance and I've got to say I admire what she's done. Uh, the media got it wrong on that day that I lost my voice. There were two stories that day. One was me losing the voice, which for a bloke who shouldn't have gone to work in the first place. And the other one was a, a young woman who got injured really badly in a race fall 
And I had 14 radio stations talk to me the next morning. Not one of them wanted to talk about Danny Hill, and I wanted to talk about how she got hurt, but they all they wanted to do was talk about the laughing side of things. But the real story on that day was Danny Hill, and she's proven it right now with all the records that she's broken. So I think, I think it's a fantastic effort. That's what I put that one in for, Matt. Well, the real story of today is uh, is the retirement of Jim Jakes. And uh, grandkids, what else? Yeah, that's about it. Grandkids and family. Well, grandkids uh, is all you need. That's all I need, mate. All, right. uh, all you need is your family and happiness, and you'll get by. And... Uh, Look, if I run out of money, I know Dan's pretty well uh, chopped up, so I can hit him for a lane down the track. I've gone a bit early. And I've also heard eating competitions. You excelled in a, a seafood eating competition one time many what, years ago. What, your seafood so you and you eat it? Re- rekindle <laughs> one of those um, competitions, Jim. <laughs> well, Simone, I am. Uh, there's one thing I'm really good at, and that's eating. And I've had I've had some pretty heavyweights take me on. You know, blokes that have been... Uh, you know, 20, uh, 21 stone and plenty of room to fill. And I've, I've outdone them, you know. So, But, my look, my metabolism doesn't work quite as good as it is and I don't eat as much as what I, I did years ago. But, yeah, I can eat. Don't worry about that. If you, if you want to back me in, in anything, back me in an eating competition. I, I can outstay anyone. Imagine if you went to your doctor and you said, Doctor, what should I do in retirement? Um, should I continue my eating competitions? He might say, Jim, maybe come up with something else. But if you're good at it, mate, if you're good at it, Hey, good on you. Well done. Um, as Dan said in the intro, such a familiar voice um, over there in South Australia and so many wonderful calls. So uh, we've all got great memories and uh, and we hope you do as well, uh, even though it, obviously there was a bit of uh, a bittersweet scenario towards the end with the with the decline of South Australian racing. But enjoy the grandkids, mate, and enjoy the food. Yeah, thanks, Matt, Dan and Simone. A pleasure to be on your show. And uh, look, hopefully we'll catch up at some stage and have a, a bigger chat with each other but thank you for this morning. Well, interesting character and obviously some um, very blunt views about the state of South Australian racing and hopefully things can pick up uh, over there. Uh, hey, great show, guys. Lovely to open the ball, bounce the ball with uh, young Darcy and end up with a guy in retirement. So we've covered up, covered the spectrum, Simone, haven't we? <laughs> we have, and two ends of pony trots because that's where Jim started out as well. So we, um, we've done it again. We've come up with these little things that all match up and talking to Jared in between. So it's been a great show, guys. Absolutely. Dan, what are we going to round off with? It's Caulfield Cup Day. Well, actually, I called this year. It was a big year for me, but, you know, that's it's not all about me. But this is one of the great mares of all time. She won this race, and a couple of weeks later, she won another race. Her name's Let's Elope. Have a great day, everyone. A great Caulfield Cup Day. Stay warm and dry. Back plenty of winners, and we'll look forward to doing it all again next Saturday morning on Cracking the Codes. In the straight, they race 300 to go, and it's Prince Salieri, Dr. Grace, Royal Creation, Ivory Way on the inside, Lord Revener further out on the mare, down the outside, Let's Elope with a great run with Castletown, Ivory Way in front, Royal Creation getting up on the inside from Let's Elope, Royal Creation, Ivory Way, and Let's Elope out wide, Let's Elope grabbing them, Let's Elope's won the Caulfield Cup.